Hello and welcome back to Equity, a podcast about the business of startups where we unpack the numbers and nuance behind the headlines. I'm Natasha Mascarenas and this is our Wednesday show where we niche down to a single person, think about their work and unpack the rest. Um, What do you guys think we're talking about today? Obviously, we're talking about Silicon Valley Bank, it's collapse. If I sound tired, it's because I am. Our producer, Teresa, is not 100%. So extra shout out to her today. But it's worth it. It's worth it that we're here on the mic because today we're talking to series CEO, Brexton Pham, who has been building a full stack enterprise for institutions and enterprises for the past few years. He got pushed out of stealth this week from me. I'm sorry, Brexton, because you're kind of set to benefit or at least be a competitor to the idea of where companies park their cash Brexton, welcome to the pod. Thank you. That was a 10 out of 10 podcast intro, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I've done it a few times. I mean, I feel like the best times to talk to founders are when there's so much chaos that all we can do is unpack it live. And I mean, I know I kind of have been up in your DMs the whole week. Thank you for that. Where should we start? Like, you've been in stealth. You're not in stealth anymore. What is happening? Yeah, honestly, it has been the craziest week of my life, hands down. I mean, where do we even begin? Tell people about uh, Series. Tell people what it is. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So we started Series in January of 2021. And the premise was that enterprise and institutional financial services are very antiquated. And we wanted to build something better. Whether it's corporate banking or treasury management or payroll or B2B payments, we want to provide a full stack solution for all of our customers. Um, we primarily service <laughs> like endowments and pension funds, foundations, healthcare systems, insurance companies, family offices, government entities. So stable entities. Yes, like <laughs> um, very much not startups, right? But because we also service a lot of underlying hedge funds, real estate funds, venture funds. I think once the SVB stuff started happening last week, a lot of the venture funds that we service started, you know, asking us, hey, could we onboard to you, but also onboard our portfolios to you, right? Yeah. And so I think from that angle, it's been crazy because it's not our typical customer profile, but also I don't think it's also typical for the U.S. banking system to nearly collapse overnight, um, which is a whole other thing. And so more than happy to help out there, but it has been exhausting. Our whole team has been on call for the past I think five, six days nonstop. I think you put it so well when you said that your email inbox has kind of become a second application portal for founders who are looking to move their money in any way. And so I'm guessing that has, you know, we first talked, you were the first call I actually made (laughs) since when the collapse happened. And now a lifetime has gone by. Like, where are we today? If we can get into like what you're seeing as both a startup that's helping in the collapse, but also just a general person who's known about the banking world since everyone else tried to become armchair experts about it, including me. No (laughs) shade. I've been asking a lot of stupid questions out loud. (laughs) Not stupid. So I think first of all, our sales motion typically, because we service like pretty conservative traditional customers, is always like typically month or two long sales cycles, right? And so we're not used to at volume scale self sign up, like just banking customers. Yeah, That's where I think like Mercury and Brex were just way more well equipped than us. And so I'm not gonna lie, things broke internally, right? Because typically when we onboard customers, it's very white gloved. We're dealing with diligence processes from these healthcare systems or family offices. Of course. And then suddenly you have all of these SMBs 
coming through. And we're like, wow, we don't even have self-serve. Like we just don't, right? And so wow. then our team inboxes, our HubSpot, our CRM completely got obliterated. And then our team started offering their own personal emails to prioritize customers. And then we would prioritize the portfolios of the venture firms that we service, just because there's at least some level of de-risking. I think fast forward to now, I think it's been very fascinating to watch as wires are finally being processed from Friday, right? Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people were panicking about moving their assets from Thursday and Friday, but actually the majority of that activity was just account openings. And I'm pretty sure it was the same thing with FRB or Mercury or Brex. And then, of course, I think everybody was spreading a lot of nonsense on Twitter about, oh, my wires aren't leaving SVB on a weekend. No, they're not supposed to, right? <laughs> um, it's the same thing with First Republic, yeah, right? Yeah. The wires get queued up, but then they finally get processed in the next business day. And so we saw a lot of just inflows yesterday. And now that a lot of the sentiment has cooled down, I think now you're also seeing a lot of people be more proactive with moving money out to diversify across multiple banking relationships. And where Series has always kind of sat was because we service very enterprise institutional folks. Right. The ironic thing is that the muscle of these folks are completely different from the muscles of startups, which is these folks have always had multiple banking relationships. We are always banking relationship number 11 mm -hmm. to our traditional customers. Whereas I think for startups, this is the first time they've remotely considered opening up multiple bank accounts with multiple different banks. Super yeah. interesting. I mean, I'm so curious, like, one, the emotion you're hearing now in terms of like, does it still feel frantic from them when they're coming to you? And yeah, like, I guess for the first time, considering not parking all their capital in one place. Yeah. And then I guess a quick follow up on that is, what are the questions they are asking you today? Yes, we get everything. We get a lot of questions around, hey, how safe are your underlying banks? What's the FDIC insurance like? We also get a lot of panic still because a lot of wires didn't get processed out of SVB right. um, and had to get restarted. And so we have a lot of folks emailing us being like, hey, did you get the wire that I initiated five minutes ago? Um, <laughs> and so that's quite a lot of our inbound. Um, but I think in general, sentiment has cooled down drastically, especially after the Fed stepped in on Sunday. Okay. So I think people feel much safer, regardless of whether or not you're a big four bank with the underlying banks. Okay, that is so good to hear because I've been asked a ton about founder sentiment. And I feel like, first of all, VCs are a lot more vocal than founders right now because I think founders are a little bit more scrambling <laughs> for certain reasons. Yep. And I feel like the word I keep coming back to is like, it's like a cautious optimism, but it sounds like there is relief. Like it's not just caution, there's relief as well. I completely agree. I mean, there's a whole other discussion around what triggered everything yeah. and who to blame and blah, blah, blah. And I think everybody has hot takes there. Yeah. But I think there's like a pretty existential question of can we trust the U.S. banking system? That was a sheer existential dread across everything. This is the first time I think in like since 2008 that people had to ask the question, do I trust my bank? Yeah. Right. And the Fed made a very, I mean, you know, they could have moved a bit sooner, but yeah. <laughs> um, but like, I think they made a very resolute decision to say, hey, we've got you. This is how we're going to move forward. This is our roadmap. You should be able to trust your banks, right? Yeah. And so they prevented a lot of, I think it could have been 10 times worse Monday open if they didn't respond before night on Sunday. Yeah. I mean, and I think outside the tech world, that's another area where we're seeing a lot of hot takes 
which is like, what is the tech world? What, <laughs> what is the tech elite? And is, you know, is it impacting just rich people or, or is it just rich people that were saved in this situation? And have you found yourself getting that critique at all? Because I'm guessing your yeah. institutional partners are also coming to you saying, hey, I see you in the news. Like what's happening? You're starting to help startups. Like, <laughs> yeah. are, are you changing your focus now too? So fortunately, all of our customers, because they tend to be pretty sophisticated finance teams, they know SVB's place in the ecosystem globally, which is, it's a top, 20 bank, right? Yeah. And so they kind of understand SVB's impact, not only within the tech ecosystem, but broadly. And I do agree with a lot of the sentiment online around how I think tech needs to fix its image. And, you know, it's become a very political topic. And I have no doubt this whole SVB situation will make its way into kind of the presidential election. Uh huh. But in general, our customers have just been like, They've been less frazzled because, again, I think a lot of it has to do behaviorally with like with best business practices they've had to diversify right. across multiple banks. Whereas SMBs and startups, they typically don't need to think about that. I guess when it comes to us and our customer base and whether or not we're changing direction at all, we're not. Uh, look, I love what Mercury and Brex do. Ahmad Brex founders, if you hear this, not trying to compete. Totally. <laughs> Say louder <laughs> for the people in the back or else there might be a billboard against you. They're gr- like, y'all are great. I think they're, they're phenomenal options for startups. Yeah. Where Series really shines is we service much larger customers that tends to have like nine figures and above mm-hmm. in terms of deposits and AUM. They need to manage multiple legal entities. They need international support. Yeah. So that's kind of our sweet spot. So mid-market up. They have wild diligence checklists. So they need SOC 1, SOC 2 compliance. They need GDPR. They need PCI. Every acronym on earth to be even considered, for us to even be considered a vendor. Yeah. And so I'm happy to be able to service a lot of the startups and SMBs that are coming in. But as sentiment's cool, we're not going to change our company direction. Okay, got it. Do you think about, I'm sure you are thinking about this, but what are you hearing on like the long-term impacts of an SVB crisis outside of Silicon Valley? So like, let's talk about like, yeah, your exact customers without naming names, like (sighs) how serious are they taking it? How worried are they? Like, or are they kind of just, uh, they're not sophisticated enough? (laughs) Or like, do they think startups are not sophisticated enough? So let's, let's acknowledge a couple things. I think there's like a broader thing around like where does u.s banking go from here yes right and then i think there's also another thing around startups in general and how should startups and venture capital firms manage their financial stack the the reality of it is like when you think about how a startup is created it started by two or three people stressed out of their minds they're just worried about can they raise money can they build a business they don't have time to think about managing a treasury and multiple banking relationships. And actually, I would argue they shouldn't have to. But after this, I think now there's an anxiety in the back of everybody's heads of can we trust our banks, right? And the funny thing is that we said my mom, she's an immigrant from Vietnam. And like, I actually had to talk to her a lot about this over the weekend. Huh over text and stuff. And her reaction was so sobering and humbling, which was she was like, why is everybody panicking? Like the Vietnamese banking system sucks. Like no one trusts the banks in Vietnam, right? And so she's used to stockpiling cash under her bed and in safes and in multiple local bank branches. She doesn't do digital banking. Wow. And so I think if you talk to a lot of immigrant families, this isn't surprising to them, but for the broader American base, it is. Mm. And I think there's a whole other discussion. So when we go above startups and what have you too, what made SVB unique was that they were one of the banks that actually where the majority of deposits weren't insured because they were banking large corporate customers 
the customers aren't thinking about, hey, how do I split my tens of millions of dollars in 250K tranches? Yeah. So now there have been very interesting implications from what the Fed did that we still don't really have a lot of answers to, right? For example, again, this is some uneducated guy's opinion. So take it with 10 spoons. <laughs> hey, you've been uh, in baking before. It was cool. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. Thank you. But I think the Fed made the right decision to say, hey, by the way, we're going to insure all deposits, right? Not just for SVB, but also for Signature, the third largest bank to fail that Sunday. Yeah. And I think it's becoming politicized about whether or not capitalism is failing and blah, blah, blah. But the reality of it is if American consumers and businesses can't trust that their banks and their deposits will be insured, then we will just lose all faith in our banking system. And it would take so long to rebuild. And we would have had bank runs like nobody's business on Monday. Yeah. Right. But now the Fed has stepped in and said, hey, SVB, fully insured, ironically, the safest place to bank your cash right now, <laughs> right? They were say they've set a precedent with also Signature Bank, all deposits will be insured. And so I think there's a broader discussion around what will FDIC look like moving forward? Yeah. Because everything's kind of quasi-insured now. And so will the banking system, will the FDIC take a stance and increase limits? Will we have to place heavier regulation on banks? And look, I think a lot of people like to blame either VCs or SVB management or the Fed for what happened with SVB. But if you kind of replay what happened last week, and I can't believe I'm saying these words, you had Silvergate collapse, right? I think on Monday. Mm -hmm. And then Basically, SVB, there was a footnote in their financial statements that said, hey, by the way, a lot of our investments are underwater because we invested in, let's just say, long-term bonds. Yeah. And these things are getting marked to market and they're a bit underwater. But we're going to whisper in the footnotes, someone noticed. Then because all of SVB's customers are tech people and investors, everything rushed out, right? Just people talked on Twitter and then this is a whole other thing, which is the banking system hasn't caught up to digital banking yet. So bank runs used to happen when you would show up in person to your bank branch and panic. Yeah. Right? Now people can withdraw funds in seconds. In seconds, based on a tweet, yeah. Exactly. I think there's a broader theme too around not only has information in the digital age really catalyzed things that banks never foresaw, but also how money moves is now digital, which is something that the banking system and the FDIC never foresaw. And then it opens up, again, a whole slew of things, which is, is the U.S. banking system now more fickle? Yeah. Because bank runs can happen overnight. Does this open up security issues, not only domestically, because people are wiring tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars within the same day. And so there's a lot of potential for fraud, but also potential cybersecurity issues abroad. And so I don't think we, I don't have any of these answers. The list oh goes God. on and on. I know. Yeah. It's like, I always joke because founders always come to me for advice on how to get press. And I'm like, wait, yeah. I mean, <laughs> something like SVV failing, everyone is newsworthy in a way because mm -hmm. the impact is so, so confusing, complex, and pervasive. And I think you did such a good job on zooming out. Just now, I mean, I think the only question I have before we get to our fun, not SVB-related lightning round, is, you know, <laughs> take away from founders building, even how you're building, are yeah. we going to see startups starting to have, like, 11 bank accounts? You know, how does this change how you're going to build, at least? You know, it's funny. I had a thought. So fintech has kind of been kind of unsexy for the past, like, six or so months, especially since a lot of public fintechs are underperforming. And now, I think, with the SVB crisis, fintech is going to get wild hot again with two topics in particular, 
banking, like basically fintech startups trying to provide multiple banking partners to their customers all at once aggregated. I think that would be a hot topic. Banking as a service, right? Like I feel like that was already getting like small signs of hype. Is this different or is similar? Yeah. So banking as a service providers are like who startups like Mercury and Series pay to get access to the underlying banks. Got it. So they're more infrastructure players. But yeah, I do think similarly, they'll be white hot. The second thing is, I think, treasury management solutions, right? So what happens to your funds outside of deposit accounts and investing it in U.S. treasuries or money market funds and corporate bonds? I think making it easier for SMBs, consumers, and businesses abroad to manage their assets, I think will become wildly important. In short, I do think that every company and hopefully every consumer too will diversify their banking relationships because it is best practice. Like our typical customer base, they're used to this. Like there was no world in which any of our actual customers were overexposed to a certain bank. But now I think watching the SVB bank run, I see a world where startups prioritize opening bank accounts, not only with folks like Mercury, Brex, or Ceres, but also with folks like First Republic and their regional banks, but also the big four, right? just to make sure that their funds are safe. And there are pros and cons to each. I think the big four are like too big to fail, but they're not specialized enough to cater to the needs of venture-backed startups or venture firms. And there's also a blaring gap that SVB now leaves in the market that I don't think there's been enough talk about where SVB didn't just do banking. Like they provided capital call lines to venture firms to not have to wait on capital calls to invest. They provided equity-based financings to startups who need venture debt, to even founders who need mortgages. They provided advances on management fees for venture firms that need operational capital. Yeah, And I'm not sure if First Republic can absorb all of that demand. And these are pretty unique and niche products to offer. So I also don't see a world in which the big four could spin up these products at least overnight, or at least scale up their operations overnight. I think there's a question of whether or not Mercury wants to take that on, but lending is a very weird business and it's Ugh. not attractive as a business. I don't know. I think that's... <laughs> I don't know. That's the way to end it. I mean, I think, yeah, there's so many questions. I think honestly saying the questions out loud will hopefully make listeners, you guys all feel a little bit better about where you and how you feel right now. But let's end with a lightning round. Let's put SVB aside or try to. Are you ready for number one? I am. Should I be scared? (laughs) You should not be scared. (laughs) But I did see in your Instagram bio, quote, life is just one big mukbang video. We (sighs) just don't know it yet. What is one cuisine that you would pick if you had to pick one cuisine to do a mukbang from? Oh, that's a good question. (laughs) Okay. I love dim sum. I think that would be my deathbed meal. Oh, yeah. I also love Korean food. I think Korean food's great. Thai food is great. I can't pick. I used to be a competitive eater, actually, in a past life. So this, <laughs> so food is like a really big deal to me. I think my mom would also murder me if I didn't mention her cooking. So <laughs> Viet food. Mom, if you're listening, it was the last thing that Brexton said. So yes, just yes, so you it was know. just that. <laughs> no, that's amazing. Separate conversation probably to be had about the competitive eating background you have. Yep. <laughs> uh, you know, number two is, maybe this is it, but if you weren't a founder right now, what would you be doing? Oh, I don't know what I'd be doing specifically. I had this thought where I love my job so much that it's been a while since I've thought like, oh my God, I wish I could do something else. Yeah. I think if it wasn't series, potentially, potentially I'd want to do something in climate or I'm interested in also like national defense. So like two very unsexy industries, but yeah, <laughs> I think I'm more sector 
focused okay. than I am like, what do I do there? Yeah. Does that make no, sense? No, that, that makes sense. I mean, yeah. and we'll kind of end with the fact that you built facial analytics software for cosmetic brands at some point, which <gasps> if we extract that out, yes. like… It's the AI world as well, correct? Yeah. So so maybe we yeah. end on something like that, which is like, what's one thing people get wrong about the world of facial analytics and AI? Um, I'm going to give a shout out to my intern manager at Slack real quick. So a bit of background. I studied AI in college, whatever that means. And then <laughs> I was a very cocky, straight Asian dude from Stanford with like, took like five AI classes and thought that he should be able to do quote unquote AI at these large companies. So when I interned in Slack at 2016, I remember walking in the door and I told my manager I wanted to train deep, like, you know, neural networks. And he was like, no, you're a literal child. Why would we let you do that? Right. And then he basically walked me through this hierarchy of needs of AI that I think a lot of people miss, which is before you get to crazy deep learning and neural nets, there's a whole order of operations, which is, do you have data? And then can you count that data? And then can you clean that data and build data engineering pipelines? And then can you kind of see that data and build out analytics dashboards? And then you work all the way up. And then at the very tip, tip top, you get quote unquote AI. And I think that as a lot of companies get really excited by the AI craze, I think they're skipping a lot of steps. And even asking the fundamental question of like, why would a person buy this thing? Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm very excited by all of the AI stuff that's happening right now. But I think we're running into a lot of the same hype cycle issues that we did back in 2015, 2018 with that AI cycle. Braxton, thank you so much for joining Equity and the true fickle nature of tech. We somehow started an episode with SVB and ended it <laughs> with chat GPT-4 and AI and, <laughs> and something. So I definitely caught you there. But no, seriously, thank you for talking to me this week. Let's keep talking. Where do people find you on the internet yep. if they want to keep subscribing to your thought leadership? I would say it is whatever the complete inverse of thought leadership is, but at Bruxton Fam on Twitter is great. Well, my DMs are open if you want to chat banking or <laughs> healthcare systems or enterprise finance for some godforsaken reason. <laughs> Let's party. I mean, after this week, who knows what's next on Tech's Hot Take List. But everyone else, you can find me as always on Twitter at nmask underscore or on Instagram at Natasha the Reporter. We'll be back probably talking about all of this and then some on Friday with Alex. Take care. Bye. Equity Wednesdays are hosted by myself, TechCrunch senior reporter, Natasha Mascarenas. We're produced by Teresa Locansolo with editing by Cal Keller. Bryce Durbin is our illustrator. Alyssa Stringer leads audience development and Henry Pickovet manages TechCrunch audio products. Thank you so much for listening and we'll be back next week. 